Gamble on, fellas. Gamble on. <laughs> Welcome again to Gamble On, the weekly gambling podcast presented by usbets.com. I'm Eric Raskin, US Bets Managing Editor and Media Director, and I'm joined by our senior analyst, Pulitzer Prize finalist, John Brennan. We woke up to some unusual news on Wednesday with DraftKings announcing that Giselle Bunchen had joined the company as a special advisor to the board of directors. Yes, the semi-retired Brazilian supermodel and sometimes actress, and sometimes singer, and philanthropist, and wife of Tom Brady, is a special advisor to a sports betting and DFS company. Because why not? Uh, Hey, if last week's podcast guest Pete Rose can be a WWE Hall of Famer, I guess Giselle can be a DraftKings special advisor. Right, John? Uh, As long as she isn't betting on Bucks games. I, I, I got to confess, I, I don't get the whole Giselle Bunchen thing. Uh, of course, she's attractive, but is she funny, smart, empathetic, generous, anything else at all? I mean, she might be. I really don't know. Uh, apparently, she's, she's supportive of environmental issues. So there's that. Mm-hmm. And DraftKings in their press release says they're going to plant one million trees by Earth Day 2022 in her honor, I guess. Well, I mean, who doesn't like trees? Are there, are there anti-tree lobbyists in Washington, <laughs> D.C. who craft bills to hasten their extinction? I mean... So maybe I'm onto something in this ever more polarized world. I like to think that trees are something we can all rally around. So <laughs> now what that has to do with DFS and sports betting, I have no idea, but uh, hooray for trees, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm definitely pro tree. Mark me down yeah. as uh, in favor of trees. Yeah, you know, <laughs> it's a little tricky to mock this news without sounding at least mildly sexist. So, uh, so I do want to be careful. Um, But uh, yeah, you know, I I noted the same thing as you that they spelled out that she's a special advisor for environmental, social and corporate governments. Um, So that suggests she probably will have no input into where her husband's player prop lines are set (laughs) in a given week. Um, Yeah, planting trees, uh, I guess if that's a part of DraftKings' plan to save the environment, then uh, I'll go with it, as long as this is an unpaid position. Uh, Giselle apparently has a net worth of $521 million, so this had better be an unpaid advisory position. That's all I can say. Well, I guess she's very empathetic and smart and generous or something. Yeah, uh, and add her net worth and her husband's net worth. Uh, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say that they, they can do uh, with an, an, an unpaid internship type of thing on this. Uh, Yay for trees. Yes. Go trees. All right. (laughs) Thank you to everyone for joining us for episode number 139 of Gamble On. If you missed any of our previous 138 episodes, they're all available on Spreaker, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. And by the way, you can also find the brand new podcast, Get a Grip, from our friends at Sports Handle, uh, Brett Smiley and Dave Sharapan, in those same apps. It debuted this week, and it's off to a fun start. So if you only have time for one gambling podcast per week, make it gamble on. But if you have time for two, check out Get a Grip as well.
Oh, okay. I was wondering where that plug was going, but uh, <laughs> sure. If our listeners get our podcast out of the way right away yeah. uh, and they have time, I'm good with them listening to others, especially ours. So yeah, I'm, I'm cool with that. Um, coming up a little later in the show, we're going to be talking to Adam Small, our boss and the founder of US Bets and also the co-founder of Pocket Fives, which was where he was working when Poker's Black Friday happened 10 years ago last week. We're going to talk to Adam about why that dark day for online poker was actually a positive for him in the end, uh, what the future of online poker looks like, and also how shocked he's been by the recent online casino revenue numbers in uh, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Michigan, and so forth. Uh, But first, it's been a, well, I'd say typically busy week in the world of gambling. So let's get to it. Here's your Gamble On News of the Week, an inside look at the biggest stories in the world of gambling. talked with some frequency about the change of heart the sports leagues have had about sports betting, including the NFL's complete about face since PASPA was overturned. Well, the NFL's sudden affection for sports betting reached a new height last week when the league signed on with official sports betting partners. Yes, partners with an S. The NFL has named Caesars Entertainment, FanDuel, and DraftKings all to be official partners. Caesars remains the league's official casino sponsor and will team with the NFL on content in some form. FanDuel will be integrated into the NFL's pregame content and will gain access to NFL highlights. And DraftKings remains the official DFS partner and will have a presence on the Red Zone channel. The NFL obviously gets a lot of money out of these deals, while each of these companies gets to claim official sports betting partner status and presumably agrees not to make a big stink about having to share the NFL with their fiercest rivals. John, what do you make of this big three-for-one announcement from the NFL? And could any other league get away with splitting its partnership rights in this fashion, or is this exclusive to the big dominant NFL? Uh, I believe the word is tri-exclusive, Eric, if I, yes. if I remember right. Yeah. <laughs> and I believe it's nearly $1 billion all told from these five-year deals. Uh, I'll just note my uh, week-old tweet, which is uh, odds of NFL getting this billion dollars in 2021 without us New Jersey voters 10 years ago approving sports betting at state racetracks and Atlantic City casinos, this close to zero. Hashtag finder's fee, hashtag royalty, <laughs> hashtag you're welcome. <laughs> and then also, you know, the whole six year legal battle, it still really vexes Metal Lens racetrack operator Jeff Corral. Uh, and I communicated with him briefly again after this news uh, broke last week. In his real job, Jeff is a real estate titan in New York City and its suburbs. And and while he's really, really wealthy because he's a really, really savvy businessman, and the arguments the NFL and other leagues were making about how extending sports betting beyond Nevada would ruin the leagues, he found it pretty much impossible to believe that these commissioners were, you know, as Jeff bluntly noted to me on more than one occasion, so stupid. <laughs> it just annoys the hell out of him. You know, Jeff probably spent several years worth of my paycheck and yours as his share of six years of legal fees that basically forced the league to make this extra billion dollars. And I can almost put myself in his shoes. Uh, almost. Well, I, I'm glad that you brought up the try exclusive uh, aspect. I, I, I was going to mention that if you hadn't. It was, yeah, the headline on NFL.com called them try exclusive official sports betting partners. So uh, the English language is dead. R.I.P. Uh, I, I was careful in tweets last week not to call our interview with Pete Rose exclusive, which is something media people do all the time when they get a one on one. They call it exclusive, even though the interview subject is giving other interviews. Uh, so I wouldn't even call that exclusive. 
exclusive, but the NFL is out here calling these try exclusive. My my inner editor is weeping. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I don't know what more we can say about the leagues, particularly the NFL going against everything they claimed they stood for with regard to sports betting back when they weren't in a position to make money off of it. It's the way of the world. It's all kind of predictable. Um, it will be interesting, I suppose, to track the handle and revenue during NFL season of the different sports books to see whether these partnerships provide actual boosts to the books. Um, we know that FanDuel and DraftKings are at the top of the heap in most states, uh, but will Caesars, which uh, just finished its acquisition of William Hill, by the way, will they see a bump? Uh, will BetMGM, probably the number three online sportsbook overall, suffer because it doesn't have a partnership with the NFL? A little something to keep an eye on there, whether getting that big time NFL exposure translates to more customers. I, I doubt it, but uh, <laughs> it's just I, I, I still think of that federal judge who, see, seven years ago now concluded that the leagues were right in that if Monmouth Park, a Jersey Shore racetrack, had sports betting legal for two for the four weeks, as it turned out, that he was reviewing the case, that that would cause irreparable harm to the leagues, sports leagues. They're, they would have irreparable damage <laughs> if, you know, Nevada's had it for 70 years, okay, but if a Jersey Shore racetrack has it for a few weeks uh, before he makes his ruling and then uh, wipes it out, that would cause irreparable harm to the leagues. That's like, <laughs> that's the all-time legendary uh cold freezing take i think they call it <laughs> yes yes in in hindsight uh, what they were doing was uh, damage to themselves that it turns out <laughs> was not irreparable that's that's the takeaway <laughs> it, it, it's funny because sometimes you know not being a lawyer and, and I, I deal with so many legal issues over the years sometimes i don't get it and then i, I learn oh, okay well legally it's actually this and and then sometimes like this is like no it really was a stupid uh, this conclusion and and I, I was right so i'm often wrong but in these cases <laughs> I, I was right yeah all right uh for our second and third news stories this week we're doing something a little different than usual uh three major state revenue reports for march have come out in the past week and there's too much news to cram into one conversation so we're going to split it into separate discussions of sports betting an online casino. Uh, the three states are New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and Michigan. And let's start with the sports betting side. In New Jersey, billion dollar handle watch was on, but even with March Madness, the betting handle figure didn't come all that close, landing at $859.6 million, not nearly as high as December or January's marks. Revenue for the sports books was $61.8 million, a 7.2% hold with Meadowlands Racetrack and its FanDuel online skin leading the way. Over in Pennsylvania, handle was $560.3 million, also smaller than January, but larger than February. With FanDuel in first place, DraftKings in second, and Barstool in a distant third actually declining from February to March. And then there's Michigan, which, as expected, set a state handle record in March after online betting went live partway through the month of January. The March handle was $383.7 million, with FanDuel in first, BetMGM in second, DraftKings in third, and fourth place Barstool again declining from February to March. But already Michigan appears poised to move into fifth place in the monthly handle rankings behind New Jersey, Nevada, Illinois, and Pennsylvania. John, thoughts on any of these states' sports betting numbers? And should Penn National and Barstool be worried that they've peaked already? 
Yeah, I, I think you've made the point that we didn't quite fully understand that March Madness is awesome, but the NFL and college football are supreme. And yep. so uh, there's there's no matching that. So when there's no football, March Madness cannot completely you know make up for that in terms of handle. So uh, uh, it doesn't mean March Madness isn't huge. It's huge. It just tells you how incredible the love for for college and pro football is in this in this country yeah. uh, and as far as barstool so their rivals ask you to bet on their platform but barstool tells its acolytes what to bet on so if their faux experts do well then the book makes less money but if they're terrible and their fans really get frustrated because they lose so much money and maybe they bet less so you know we don't recommend that our subscribers put up their money on our amateur picks thankfully uh, <laughs> and we don't make money if they're good or terrible and we've been to both extremes in the last couple of years so i don't really understand the barstool business model completely uh as far as michigan yeah that's a good sports fan state and i expect it to do well in months and years to come it's going to be a contender for sure yeah um yeah the the barstool thing, I think that that's a good point about the the way that they promote their own picks. Um, it's still weird to see it actually going down from February to March, uh, yeah. just with the extra days in March. Um, mm-hmm. They do have an attractive welcome offer, that $500 free bet. I know plenty of people who signed up because of that. I guess there's not much to keep people betting there after that uh, when you compare what they do to all the boosts and incentives the other big sites are offering. Um, I'm wondering if maybe the no advertising plan starts to backfire after you get the initial wave of your big barstool sports fans, the folks who follow Portnoy and all those people on social media after the so-called stoolies sign up at the outset, maybe it's hard to get additional customers in the months ahead without spending ad dollars. I'm not sure, but whatever the cause it's troubling for them to think that they might have already peaked in some States as for the the state by state breakdown and that pursuit of a billion dollars from New Jersey, I, I really thought New Jersey had a good shot at the billion in March, um, and I yeah. also wrote that I thought nationally five billion was possible. Clearly, I was wrong. Um, presumably, all these numbers in New Jersey and Pennsylvania will keep coming down over the next few months. Uh, I, I kind of doubt any month between April and August will top March for sports betting handle. Although Michigan is different, that number could rise since it's all so new there. Um, but then in September, we'll be back on Billion Dollar Handle Watch in New Jersey. And uh, I'll go on record now. I predict over a billion dollars for Jersey in September. Yeah, I've already said that, and I'll stand by it. All right. Darn. I was hoping you might disagree so we could put a friendly <laughs> wager on it. But uh, we're on the same side. If any of the listeners uh, disagree and want to uh, slide into our DMs and, uh, and put, a, put a wager on under a billion, uh, you know, I'm, I'm listening. But OK, moving on to online casino. And these are the only three major states that currently offer online casino gaming. Apologies, Delaware and West Virginia, but I did say major. Uh, And uh, March was a massive month for online casino revenue, far higher than sports betting revenue in each state. In New Jersey, a new record $113.7 million in revenue in a single month. Uh, For perspective, heading into 2020, the $50 million barrier had never been crossed. In Pennsylvania, a state record $97.7 million, and in Michigan, a new high of $88.7 million as the state threatens to catch Pennsylvania after just two full months of online casino play. Uh, Two interesting notes. First, the bad news continues for Barstool, which fell to seventh place in the Michigan online casino rankings, dropping 26% from February to March. And second, whereas 
Online casino gaming took the growth it enjoyed early in the pandemic from people being stuck inside and bored and uh, and has just kept growing. Uh, online poker stopped growing after the first couple of months of quarantine and in Pennsylvania and New Jersey seems to have settled at about 50% higher than it was pre-pandemic, but only about half what it was at its peak. Uh, John, any theories about why online casino keeps exploding, but online poker fell back to earth? And how high can these online casino numbers go? Could we be talking about $200 million revenue months in a single state this time next year? Well, yeah, Michigan's numbers in this category also are terrific. And basically every Midwestern lawmaker who voted for legal regulated sports betting in their state or will do that needs to be paying very close attention to what is happening in Michigan. So, you know, poker, uh, it strikes me and and I'm going on a limb here because you're an actual poker player and I'm really not. So this is rank speculation, but uh, work with me here. Okay. <laughs> uh, it seems to me it's a social game, not only in terms of liquidity, that is having enough players online, any particular time at your preferred price limits and all that. Uh, but also because I think of poker players as social animals. And I don't mean just outgoing, since many poker players are not outgoing. I think of them, though, as keen observers of other humans. So once it starts becoming safer to go out and do things, they either go out and do things themselves, or they go out and observe other people doing things. But I could be wrong. I think there's some truth to that. I think online poker players and live poker players are, uh, in many cases, different animals. Um, and so if you're talking about the live poker players who gave online a shot because that was their only option for a little while, mm. that kind of makes sense that it, it, that they wouldn't necessarily stick with it. Um, I, I, focusing on, on the online casino uh, explosion, I, I think clearly sports betting has been bringing customers in. And then they try casino uh, or more accurately, customers might score a sports betting win, then lose it back in online casino. Uh, I've I've said this before. This is why I personally stick mostly with sites that let me self-exclude by vertical so I can bet sports or play poker and not just blow my winnings on a quick casino tilt. Uh, But I think the continued success of online casino has a lot to do with there being more people who want a quick hit of mindless fun than people who want to hunker down for a skill game that takes time and effort. Um, it's like what you said about DFS when we've had like the monkey knife fight people on or heads of other similar companies on the podcast. I might personally enjoy putting some effort into building DFS lineups and challenging myself to make the math work and put the pieces of the puzzle together. But lots of people want to look at a line and say, hmm, over under two and a half touchdowns for Aaron Rodgers this week. Let's go over. Click. Boom. Done. Uh, That's a lot like online casino. You know, I'm going to play blackjack for 10 minutes right now while I'm waiting for my pizza delivery to arrive. I can exit the app the moment the doorbell rings. No time commitment. Fun, easy, done. Very little thinking involved. Whereas online poker, a tournament can last hours or a cash game. You're grinding it out, getting a sense for how people at your table play. You're bluffing one hand so that you can get paid off on a later hand when you have a big hand. It rewards those with the patience to play the long game. And uh, we are a short attention span society. I, I think that's a, a big part of why a lot of new online poker players came for a month or two and left, whereas online casino just keeps drawing in more and more money. 
Yeah, it's funny you mentioned the grinding because that's obviously the word that professional poker players use. And I've seen them in action uh, in person uh, playing eight to ten games of Texas Hold'em at a time. And mm-hmm. so they just see the screen and obviously their first their first two cards, they know exactly when to, to fold and go out. And uh, they talk about how grueling it is, you know, and one of the uh, professional players, you know, even had a number for me on about how much money they make per hour. And it, it's like an accounting thing, you know, mm. so it's not they don't make exactly that in any given hour. Obviously, they make they have wild swings, but eventually it it kind of evens out. And uh, they said the worst thing to for them is spending an entire hour not making any money, which almost never happens for a professional poker player. But it does happen because it's just bad luck. You know, they get beat by a, a, a nobody uh, a couple of times and that's it. So uh, it is it is a grueling situation. But as far as how high the numbers can go in online casino, mm-hmm. you know, New Jersey's been very consistent over the past several years. If you look at the numbers like I have, you know, there was maybe a half year of 30 something million per month and then 40 million something per month and 50 million something. And as soon as the pandemic hit it was 80 uh, million for a half mm-hmm. year or so and then 90 million and now it's 100 million twice and, and now i don't think expanded capacity atlantic city casinos and look it's an election year so i promise you that governor murphy will be looking as close as possible to 100 percent for memorial day kickoff of <laughs> summer given that the casino's annual revenue is so tied to june july and august they're going to really really want that so uh, i don't think that extended capacity is going to send the online casino numbers into a big tailspin. Uh, but I can't see 200 million soon in states smaller than California, New York, Florida, or Texas. Uh, none of whom are even paying attention to this industry in any <laughs> serious way. But that's easy to say because we always think, well, how much bigger can it get? And it just keeps getting bigger. So uh, I'm a little bit uh, tentative as I claim that now 200 million is not coming anytime soon. Yeah, I'm with you. It feels like we have to hit the limit at some point. You know, there's only so much money available to be lost on online casino games in the state of New Jersey. Uh, Only so much more room to expand the field of players in a state with about 9 million people. I'm sure it can get higher than 113 million. I don't think we've hit the peak, but maybe not that much higher. You know, maybe we'll find the max is like 140 million or so, but Mm. Um, this is kind of in line with what you were just saying. I guess the lesson at the moment is not to underestimate how big this thing can get because we've been doing that all along. So while I, while my instinct is similar to yours, that it's not going to get up to 200 million in New Jersey, I guess I wouldn't be totally shocked if it does because it, it just keeps exceeding our expectations. Well, because the consumer awareness is still not that high. I mean, if you took a poll today, even in New Jersey, which has had online casino for eight years, uh, for God's sakes, as Mm. says Delaware, um, if you said, you know, is this legal to to do in New Jersey? You probably get at least, I don't know, 40% of the public say, no, that's not legal. They don't even know (laughs) it's legal. So, and and a lot of people, you know, we we talk sometimes about professional gamblers are always worried about, who cares? I go to my offshore site. I've got my bookie in the corner. I don't care if it's legal or not. Well, that's a very tiny number. The average average person is not going to gamble illegally or or even if they perceive it to be illegally and they might bet a little bit uh, or or gamble a little bit if they know that it's legal. So Mm -hmm. there is upside there for the marketplace and and trying to break through to that casual consumer that, you know, frustrates every business because they want, you know, every consumer to be on top of every little option they have to spend money and they just aren't because you know life gets in the way so there is an upside there so i i agree i, I don't think 200 million is happening in the next three years but yeah i'll probably be wrong 
It's time to welcome a special guest from the world of gambling. Let's get to the Gamble On interview. According to the Gamble On analytics team, our guest this week is about to move into sole possession of second place in the interview appearance rankings. Roto Grinders, yes. Dan Bach actually leads the way as the only member of the Five Timers Club. Uh, but this week, U.S. Bets founder Adam Small moves out of a six-way tie for second place as he makes his fourth appearance on the show. He's here specifically to reflect on online poker's Black Friday 10 years later. Well, 10 years and one week later. Uh, Adam, welcome back to Gamble On. Hey, thanks. Uh, thank you for stroking my ego tremendously there. I mean, <laughs> I'm not going to say that it's the number one thing I wanted to be the second highest ever guest on Gamble On, but it's been pretty high on my list for a while. So <laughs> I appreciate you dragging that part out and making sure that everyone understands the, the importance of it. <laughs> so I actually, uh, if, if, if you want to play a, a fun guessing game uh, along that, uh, right along those lines, before we get into the, the real meat of the interview, uh, do you have any guesses as to which five people you're tied with? And, and I'll note that John doesn't know the answer, so, so he can guess too, uh, unless you'd rather avoid it in, in case you're worried about getting into trouble by, by not naming any of the right people or anything. You want to take any no, stabs not, at it? I'm not worried. I'm assuming most <laughs> of them are, are people that work with us. Um, right. So, uh, so three, three, three of the five are uh, current or past staffers, which there's a hint right there. Okay. Let me, let me think about that then <laughs> real quick. So, uh, so I'm guessing Robert Delafave is one of them. He, he is uh, one. Yep. As well as um, I'm going to say uh, Chris Altruda. Yeah. Well done. All right. And Matt Rybaltowski, would that be the other one internally? No, mm. Smiley. Right, one Smiley. X on the board. Smiley is one. Yep, yep. Yeah. Okay, one if X. We're playing on the Family board, Feud then... style. You get two more wrong guesses before uh, you lose. What about uh, Matthias Stetz from Sugar House? Is I think we one? only ha- I think we only had him once. He's definitely not in the okay. three timers club. There there are two okay. more that are that are not members of the of the staff. Mm, gosh, this is where it starts getting tough, right? <laughs> it um, does. I'm gonna I'm gonna jump in with yeah, Daniel jump Wallach, in, maybe. Uh, no, nope, nope. He's a two timer. Oh. He's a two timer. Okay. I'll, I'll, I'll give you. I'll give you. Uh, I'll give you a hint. One is a, okay. is a female. Uh, we don't have a lot okay. of female guests, but one has been on three times. Sarah Slane. Sarah Slane. That is correct. Yep. Yep. All right. Wow. And the the last one remaining is a uh, a professional. Uh, well, not professional, but a uh, semi professional uh, serious gambler who we've had on a few times. Who actually? Jack. No. 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 At uh, someone that you. Ha- no, someone no, that you no. uh, first put us in touch with, uh, Adam. Oh, Brad Feinberg. There right. it is. Yes. All right. <laughs> we got there. Good. Wow. We did. I feel like I was the least uh, prestigious of that entire six, so I had no. to move ahead of them in the rankings. <laughs> <laughs> no, not was... at all. But yeah, now you've separated yourself from them, so uh, you'll always be able to hold that over them. And of course, you're just one away from tying Dan Bach for, for the lead. But I have no <laughs> idea if that was anywhere near as fun for the listeners as it was uh, uh, for us to play that game. We should probably get into uh, talking to some serious gambling stuff here. Um, well, I'm coming back next week, Dan, so be ready for it. <laughs> maybe week after that that's right you want to move into the lead a tie isn't good enough (laughs) all right so uh it has been a decade since black friday the day the doj seized the domains of poker stars full tilt and ultimate bet and more or less ended online poker in america for a while i know you tweeted adam about how this day that was disastrous for so many was kind of a relief for you so 
take us back. What were you doing professionally at the time? Where were you on April 15th, 2011? And why did you view Black Friday as somewhat of a good thing? Sure. Yeah. And, and I'll just preface by saying that 10 years later, it's, it's been unequivocally a good thing in my life. But um, I think what maybe set me apart in some ways from some, I, I've seen a number of people on Twitter and elsewhere saying that this ended up being a good thing for them. But I think that's maybe easier with that 10 year cushion and all the things that happen in your life, you know, as you age 10 years and things change and so on. But for me, I really felt that day a, a bit of relief and um, taking me back to, I guess, 2011, I was 30 years old. I just gotten married. Uh, I was living down in Costa Rica. Uh, I was still working on pocket fives, which was the, the first project I worked on in this industry. And I'd been doing it for about six years at the time. And we had started out before the UIGA passed, which I think most of our listeners are, are familiar with. But I mean, for those who aren't, just in, in brief summary, uh, a law that passed through Congress in 2006 that kind of began the process of what eventually became Black Friday as it restricted uh, financial transactions on online gambling in the U.S., uh, which eventually led to people doing riskier and riskier stuff and eventually getting busted by the DOJ for it. So uh, yeah, that, that's a very, very basic summary of everything that happened, but it gives, gives a good impression. So I'd gotten into the industry about two years before the UIGA passed. We'd experienced a period of, of rapid growth with our business going from barely existing to making a living off of it within a few months. Uh, I was expecting to have a full-time job and kind of do this thing on the side as a hobby, maybe make a little bit of money and it became clear within two or three months that I that I shouldn't get another job, that I should focus all my time on this, and and that's exactly what my partners and I did. Um, and so we were we were building that out. We were we were thrilled with it all, having a great time, building a, a successful business in our early twenties. And then a year and a half later, two years later, uh, this law passes Congress, and immediately uh, several of the biggest online poker sites left the U.S. Uh, Party Poker at the time was the biggest U.S. facing online gambling or online poker site, left the U.S. They were publicly traded, couldn't risk compliance issues. Uh, a few sites stayed in, including Poker Stars and Full Tilt Poker. Um, fast forward a few years to Black Friday, things had just kind of kept getting worse and worse for U.S. online poker. The industry had consolidated to just a couple of of really major poker sites and a, a few smaller ones beyond that. Financial transactions were shadier and shadier. Sometimes you'd, you'd cash out of like Bodog at the time or Cake Poker or whatever else you're playing on. And, and it would take two, three months to get your money or you just wouldn't know when it was gonna come or two months would pass and then you'd find out your, your cash out got rejected or whatever. Um, I was hearing behind the scenes from people we worked with about how like the U.S. government just seized $20 million from us last week or whatever. I mean, big amounts of money for, for these businesses at the time. And uh, it was just very nerve wracking. We didn't have the business I was in, uh, which was at the time in 2011 connected to a few other poker uh, media businesses. All of it was very U.S. heavy. We didn't have a good European backup plan. We didn't have a way to, to survive if the U.S. disappeared but also we were stressed out about it all the time. Like we just were, um, you know, it just always felt like when's that other shoe going to drop? When's that thing going to happen that, that pushes us to a point where we just can't 
we were already making less money and things were going downhill, but you know, when, when's that shoe going to drop? It's going to make it so that we just can't survive anymore and we got to figure out what's next. And then black Friday was, was that big shoe dropping. It was, it was all at once. Uh, the majority of our revenue disappeared. Uh, our business just kind of went to uh, pretty close to like startup level at, <laughs> at that time. And we had to drastically downsize and just change our projections for the future and everything. And um, for me, I think apart from the initial shock of just learning that, you know, probably the next month I wasn't going to make any money and, you know, all the months thereafter, unless I did something else, um, I just, I felt like, okay, now I don't have to worry this is going to happen anymore because it's happened. And now we can stop kind of doing this dance where we're trying to think about the future and how we'll plan for it and how we'll do things while also not giving up on the thing that's currently making us money and just move on to the much more fun, in my opinion, part of, of building a business, which is the part where you only see up. You only see, uh, you know, a, a positive and better future than where you're in right now. That's a really fun part of a business when you see limited downside and immense upside. And uh, and so I don't know. I kind of went straight into this mode of just kind of positivity. Like, okay, now that we don't have anything to risk, really, let's just try a bunch of new things and and you know get back down to a really small team and. Um, and for me also, it meant that I could move back to the States, which I was kind of under contract with the company I was with for another year at the time. But after that, that, that all ended. And so I was able to move with my new wife to, we moved to Georgia at the time and, uh, and we're able to start our family soon after that. And so I don't know, it was kind of like for me, and I think for a lot of other people, cause there were a lot of other people in their kind of late twenties and early thirties at the time in online poker, it was just a fresh start as we were sort of becoming adults and thinking about the next phase of our lives and all that. Um, so it was, it, for me, it was very, very much just a reset in a lot of ways in my life. And, uh, and, and when I read all those other people on Twitter talking about Black Friday being a positive for them, almost all of them were around my age, like with, within five years, one way or the other. And so I think maybe a lot had to do with that as well. Like maybe if you were 55 or 60 at the time and, um, heavily entrenched in the industry, in the offshore industry, particularly, that was probably really devastating just because how are you going to get back on your feet for your career and everything? But at that age for me, it was just kind of like, okay, you know, figure out what's next, work for the next few years till we get there. And it did take me, it took me about five years to like really figure out where I wanted to be heading and, and get into that. But, uh, but I was able to start because I didn't, I just didn't have to focus on that old that old paradigm anymore. Right. Fascinating. Yeah, yeah, Adam. I'm I'm curious from a business standpoint. I mean, you're you have a uh, online poker site that has information for poker players, and online poker players still wanted to continue to play in spite of Black Friday, and there are offshore sites still going. So, in theory, on the business side, uh, if you take ads from the illegal offshore sites. Um, there's probably good revenue there and your customers are going to come there. Um, the, the poker player doesn't care if it's offshore and whether the state regulates it and what the federal government thinks, they just want to play poker. Um, so on the one hand, I would think that'd be tempting, even though obviously there are some legality 
potential issues. But then, you know, looking to 2017, 2018, when I'm looking to uh, move on from newspapers and get into the uh, the information industry about legal sports betting. And uh, it was obviously coming that passport was going to be overturned and I'm looking at my options. And then I, you know, one of the first articles I see about you is how you had made that decision not to go that route. And for me, because I'm not particularly a poker player, I'm more of a traditional news person that made a big difference to me. Cause it's like, okay, this is a legit operation here. Uh, I can trust that, but you couldn't know that any of this was coming in 2011. So wondering how difficult it was or wasn't to make that decision to say, I'm not, going the offshore route i'm just gonna and, and if it practically puts us out of business and so be it was that difficult or was it easier than i might think well it was it was difficult from a financial perspective because yeah. it really did limit our ability to make money at the time we didn't have that much money coming in anyway so it wasn't like we were uh giving up that much but most of the immediate upside like the ways we could build revenue at the time would have been an offshore uh this was before there was new jersey and certainly long before there were any other states that that we could monetize in a regulated U.S. And we didn't have a lot of non-U.S. traffic at the time. Um, but it kind of goes back to my previous answer. I think just the idea, the thought at the time of trying to build up revenue streams with like lock poker, or cake poker, or what, whatever what the, the sites were at the time, it just felt like it was going to follow that same trajectory uh, that the other sites had followed where, yeah, eventually we build some decent revenue again, but then you never know when it's just going to, fall off a cliff or those sites are going to go out of business and disappear or get indicted. And yeah, obviously you're also engaging in potentially illegal activity, which, I mean, I, I didn't really have concerns that we were breaking the law, but I didn't really want to be a part of an outlaw industry either. I wanted to be a part of something that was going to grow and be legitimate and that, you know, I could talk about with people. And so, um, <laughs> Yeah, I think that all fed into it. The, the biggest thing, though, was uh, Black Friday was seriously traumatizing from a uh, player perspective. Just people that we knew, lots of people we knew had six-figure balances or more on gaming sites, uh, or even if even if they had $500 on there, but that was a lot to them, or $100. Uh, the fact that they had their money tied up for years, in some cases, it was just... Um, it really hurt. It, 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 people did come to us sometimes and say, you know, why were you recommending these sites when this happened? And obviously we didn't, we didn't know, like they didn't have the funds to back up deposits and, and, you know, you can plead ignorance all you want, but at the end of the day, we did know that we were dealing with sites that, you know, you'd, you'd make a deposit and they would say you were paying for golf balls or something at the time. And we knew that not everything was on the up and up and, and we were still, in that business. And I think we just kind of put our feet down and said enough's enough. Like we don't want to be, we don't want to be part of that anymore. So that was, that was the biggest thing. It was hard uh, um, be, just because we didn't really have another immediate plan for how to make money. But um, you know, from kind of just a personal like stress level and moral and just feeling good about what you're doing perspective, it seemed like a very clear direction to take. So, so one thing that has come up, a handful of times since Black Friday is people thinking another online poker boom is coming. There have been a couple little waves of the door opening and people getting excited. It hasn't happened yet. Do you think we could see another full-on online poker boom in the future? And how much do the current popularity and availability of sports betting and online casino 
cut into the potential for online poker to totally take hold again? Yeah, it's, it's good. Good question. Two, um, kind of a two-parter there. I mean, I think in terms of a full-on online poker boom, if, if the goal is to have growth on par with what we saw in 2004 and 2005, 2006, I don't think that's realistic at any point in the future right. for online poker. There were just so many things that came together in those moments to make it incredibly just, I mean, the, the, you know, I, I can't even imagine what percentage growth we were seeing month over month or year over year in that industry for a while. Um, so many people were not exposed to poker and then were quickly exposed to poker and got involved in it that I, I don't think would be possible again, but also, um, you know, there were fewer, like there was less live streaming TV, just all these other things that people kind of split their time and their attention share on these days that, that poker would be competing with that it wasn't at that time. And so I do think expecting that level of growth again would be, would be incorrect. Um, but I do think that poker could absolutely thrive again and it can thrive particularly if the U.S., if, if a lot of U.S. states get networked together and mm -hmm. if uh, ideally some international networking happens as well, at least with like Canada I, I, or just, you know, the Western Hemisphere in general, it just makes so much sense. Uh, it doesn't mean it'll happen just because there's so many issues with making it happen just from a regulatory and governments and, and you know, who gets what piece of the pie perspective that, you know, that might take years and years, but if, if a lot of networking happens, I think there's high potential. And I do think that regardless that we will see like million dollar prize pools in the U S in the next few years, I tweeted this out the other day that I think within five years, we'll have million dollar tournaments in the U S again. And I, I do believe that. So yeah, I think we can get quite big again. I just don't think it's going to be like the thing everyone's talking about. I also think that there'll be like poker on TV so much better now than it was 10 years ago. Uh, they just have gotten so much better at, at making it interesting to watch that I think they'll figure out ways to market that way. They'll figure out ways to market via, you know, the other verticals. Um, and, and that kind of brings me to the second part of your question about sports betting casino. I don't think they're in the way. I don't think they're in the way. Uh, they were there when poker was blowing up before and they were big then. They, we just didn't talk about them as much. But um, they're, they're going to be big. They're going to help because it's the same companies that want all those different areas to grow, you know, BetMGM wants their sports betting casino to be huge and wants their poker to be huge. And, um, you know, you're going to see the same thing with Flutter, who owns Poker Stars, and also FanDuel, which is the biggest U.S. online sports book, as you guys know. Um, and so uh, I think that there's a lot of reason to think that that they won't be in each other's way, that they'll be able to help each other, poker, sports betting, casino. I think the bigger issue is, how quickly the states legalize and regulate and, and allow networking. Once we see like Pennsylvania and Michigan get involved with like that New Jersey, Nevada, Delaware, um, you know, once West Virginia gets in and you start seeing some smaller states that realize they can pass and just like latch onto this bigger existing network and get things going, get some revenue. I think we'll see, we'll see it pick up a bit faster, but there's still just this lingering question of are more and more states going to do what Colorado and Tennessee and Illinois and so on did and just legalize sports betting and nothing else, which, you know, the more that happens, the more I worry that becomes the model and the potential really becomes limited, at least right. in the near term. Right. 
Yeah, so let's, let's talk about online casino, which uh, New Jersey, 98% of it is not poker, obviously. And, you know, for the background, in November of 2013, New Jersey and Delaware launched online casino gaming. Delaware, obviously, is a tiny state. It's pretty limited. So New Jersey was the focus where, you know, uh, for you and other people in the gaming industry, you know, how's that going? And it, it was a little bit of a slow start at first, but it was successful from the get-go. It grew each year from the get-go. And then it got to, you know, 30 million, 40 million around 20. 2018, 2019, a month in revenue for the industry. And, you know, I know that uh, on our Slack chat, since we've been working together, you know, if it hits 50 or 60 or 70, you, you tend to have kind of a wow comment. And then it hits, yeah. it hits 80 million, uh, over 80 million, uh, start of the pandemic. And then at the end of last year, it finally cleared, uh, at the beginning of this year, uh, finally cleared 100 million. And it was 113 million in New Jersey. And then Pennsylvania just had some great numbers. Michigan, after only a couple of months, has enormous numbers. So, you know, A, how much bigger can this get? And B, are you surprised that states that seem to be much more eager to legalize sports betting are overlooking online casino, which brings in 40 to 50% more revenue for operators and therefore 40 to 50% more revenue for, uh, and, and tax revenue. So the legislators are overlooking that. So again, it's how big does it get and, and why are states kind of lagging on this? Sure. Yeah. I mean, so on the, on the second part of your question about states lagging on it, I think it's interesting because I definitely understand that I think a lot of people think that it's only about money that, you know, all these political decisions get made solely based on revenue, but there's clearly uh, you know, a cultural component to all this that online casino gaming sounds less attractive, maybe to certain politicians or certain constituencies, and that that's just a harder thing to, to get people to, to have positive buy-in on as opposed to sports betting, which is a thing that is everyone bets a little on sports. I mean, I, I just, almost everyone I know does an NCAA bracket or, you know, you know, things like that. There's at least minimal levels of sports gambling, fantasy sports, whatever, just so ingrained that I think it's, it's easier culturally at the same time though, uh, all those arguments about integrity and corruption and all that stuff uh, apply to sports, but really don't apply to casino gaming. Casino gaming is, you know, pretty much unequivocally fair I know that people don't always believe that when they're playing it, but, you know, as long as regulators have a clear look at the software and uh, know what's going on there, there's really not much to any risk of those games not being as they say they are. And so, um, you know, there's kind of two sides to that. And I think states maybe uh, it's kind of like, it's just got to get past the point where state legislatures don't feel like it's a big risk to add in online casino when they're, they're doing sports betting uh, probably would help if those states actually have casinos themselves. Cause in the cases of, uh, you know, Virginia, I guess Virginia is going to have casinos, but I don't think they do right now. And Tennessee doesn't have casinos at all. Georgia, you know, they're talking here about doing it via the lottery, just like in Tennessee and probably a very hard sell to get online casino in a state that won't even build brick and mortar casinos. So, you know, it's going to be one of these things where just every state has a different outlook, but it's, it's probably just a little harder to get there. As far as the numbers, um, yeah, I mean, they're shocking. They are shocking because um, I, I remember back in, I don't know, 20, I want to say 2016, maybe 2015, I had a talk with someone who was working at one of the online casino and poker sites at the time in New Jersey. And he was telling me that they were projecting the industry at, at 250 million a year, I think, in revenue is what he was telling me at the time. And at the time, 
that sounded pretty ambitious. I think they, when we had that talk, it must've been earlier, maybe 2014, where at the time it was under a hundred million or like just passing a hundred million for the year. Right. And, uh, and, and 250 sounded like a lot, but he was saying, you know, I know it seems like it's stagnated somewhat, but uh, we believe there's a lot more room for growth. And, uh, and now it's doing several times that, and we know sports betting's played a role uh, in, in terms of just acquiring more casino players for these companies. We know also that, um, that it's helped, you know, the pandemic probably boosted some of this just because people were home more of the time. And because there's been so much just cash for whatever reason, and it's not evenly distributed throughout the U S but there's certainly a lot of people with excess cash over the last year that are buying cryptocurrency and, you know, uh, eight bit, images online for 50 grand or whatever. And, and so, um, you know, there, there is money out there that people can blow in various ways. And I'm sure online casinos is one of those things. They're sources of entertainment or, or what have you. So I, I think it's a mix of factors, but whatever the case, I definitely, like I got into this the online casino side about five years ago. And I did not at the time estimate that New Jersey would ever have a hundred million dollar casino revenue month online casino. I didn't believe that that was within the realm of possibility in New Jersey, just based on the population and so on. So um, I've been proven wrong. I mean, I'm wrong all the time. So it doesn't, doesn't hurt my feelings, but yeah, when I say those wows in Slack, it's because I really am shocked. I just, I thought there was some point we would reach where that was kind of the top of the mountain and then I thought, you know, the best case and a good case would be to just kind of plateau there for a number of years, maybe see it grow a little bit here and there. But I didn't think it would continue growing steeply the way it has to this point. And it does say a lot, like you said, um, looking at Michigan, which much more aggressively promoted all this from the get go. Pennsylvania had kind of this slow, weird rollout, I think, because of all the tax set up, but also the, uh, the game and control board there did not um, did not have like a single start date for everybody. So the rollout was a little stranger, but in Michigan, the way it rolled out, uh, they didn't want to wait five, six, seven years to be a, you know, a hundred million dollar a month industry. They're going to be there much quicker. And if I were Illinois, especially or Ohio, one of these other Midwestern States right there with pretty big population, I mean, I'd be getting on it. I if Ohio's, I know they're talking about doing, doing sports betting. I mean, they, they've got to do online casino in Ohio. It just seems necessary. Illinois has got to do it. They've got to add it in. They've got video gaming terminals and gas stations all over the state. Like, How can they not have online casino? So um, I think the Midwest is a very obvious target for this stuff. I think uh, the Northeast will add some too. But uh, as far as the South where I live and probably most of the West, we probably gonna have, we're, we're probably going to have to wait quite a while before we see it proliferate well i'm uh, as a resident of the state with the uh, slow weird rollout that the, which applies <laughs> that applies to pretty much everything here in pennsylvania but uh yeah so we it's it's all it's all relative uh and uh we'll see exactly what comes to the south but uh yeah the online casino thing has i think exceeded everyone's expectations the last several months so uh great stuff as always adam thanks for uh joining us and uh, i guess we'll see you again same time next week right 
Yes, exactly. <laughs> Plan on having me until I'm until I'm clearly out in the lead ahead of everybody else. I just I don't want to be catchable. So right, we got to build a cushion. Uh, yep. <laughs> Maybe I got a phone up on the phone like up that. on the Kentucky Derby, Adam. That's what I recommend. You. That's right. We need we're you gonna, to preview that. You with yep. the, we want some selections for the Derby uh, next week. So <laughs> we'll do the Dimaggio theme. I'll come on fifty-six straight weeks. Ooh, now you're talking. Have another guest. So <laughs> our, you our, might our, get tired of me. Our, our booking department will appreciate how much easier it makes their life. <laughs> thanks again, Adam. All right, guys. See ya. All right, thanks, Adam. Two men. Two men. $10,000. Will they run it up or blow it all? It's time to check in on the Gamble On bankroll. The good news, it was a winning week for the bankroll. The bad news, the margin by which it was a winning week was a mere $5. Uh, here's, how, here's how it went down. Uh, I got us, got us started on the wrong foot with a losing cross-sport parlay on Thursday. The Warriors did prevail in the NBA, but the Penguins lost to the Flyers in an overtime shootout in the NHL. Uh, so that was $100 down the drain. Uh, and I was actually watching that game, and uh, the, announcer, the announcers mentioned at the start of, uh, of the shootout that I think the Flyers were like 0-4 lifetime in shootouts against the Penguins or something, and they finally won one. Um, I made some of it back with my Saturday boxing bet. Uh, Demetrius Andrade won in fairly dominant fashion. That was good for a 50 $55 win. Then over to golf, John had Brian Harmon for top 20 at plus 150. That hit as he finished tied for 13th. The bet was just $30. It won us $45. And John also had Abraham answer for top 20, same plus 150 odds, but a bigger bet, $70. And answer finished one stroke behind Harmon, tied for 18th through 24th which means we got our $70 back plus $5 on top of it. Uh, I'm going to do a quick futures bet update, but first, John, any comments on last week's wagers? I think I like the split golfer plan uh, down the road. Uh, while recognizing I'm not going to get too down to the last hole sweats like uh, this one every week, but that was kind of fun. Yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, as for futures, there are just a few weeks left in both the NBA and NHL season. So it's a good time to check in on our bets there. So we and the listeners know what we're sweating down the stretch. Let's do NHL first since that season is closer to ending. And since we only have one regular season bet to go along with your recent Maple Leaf Stanley Cup bet. I took the Vegas Golden Knights under 75 and a half points, and it's looking bleak. They refuse to stop winning. They have 68 points with 10 games to go. We need them to go no better than three, six and one down the stretch. I think we're drawing almost dead there. Um, as for NBA, my two awards bets are looking like a wash. $100 on LeBron for MVP died when he got injured, but $100 on Julius Randle for most, most improved player is now looking like a lock, which I believe you said it was at the time that I made it, that it was a lock. So I did. Uh, <laughs> um, as for team bets, I have the Mavericks over 42 and a half wins. They're 31 and 26. It's a long shot. We need them to go 12 and three down the stretch. We have the Wizards to make the playoffs. That was looking hopeless for a while, but they're now the 10th seed after winning their last six in a row, a half game ahead of the Raptors and a full game ahead of the Bulls. Uh, we should have a good sweat as they try to stay in the top 10 and make the play-in games. Um, John, you bet the Lakers under 46 and a half wins. And I agreed with your reasoning at the time. They'd rest LeBron and AD early in the season and not worry too much about regular season wins. 
Well, we're looking right, but for the wrong reasons. They got off to a great start, well ahead of pace. We were in trouble. Then Davis got hurt. Then LeBron got hurt. And now they're 35 and 23. So as long as they don't win 12 of their final 14, we got that one. Uh, oh, and, and back to individual bets. We're still sweating out your bet on Ben Simmons over three and a half three-pointers made. He's drained three of them, needs one more. Uh, anything you'd like to comment on regarding those futures bets? Uh, yeah, I just I recommend a season long bet like the Simmons one because uh, he could have had none all season and you're still not dead until there's only a couple of games left. So you're you're getting a, a lot of bang for your buck because you have months to uh, shoot for it. You could win right away uh, or halfway through the season. And if you're not winning, you're still in the game. So, you know, we're asking him to do it's not as if he can't reach the basket from 25 feet. <laughs> he just doesn't generally attempt the shot. So right. the more garbage time, fourth quarters and eventually games for the 76ers, the better. And I think think we have that one yeah i don't know i watch ben simmons pretty regularly it's (laughs) it's he's taken he's three for ten on the season in three pointers and i don't know exactly but i would say seven or eight of those are probably the shot clock is winding down or the half is Mm. about to end so like of the three he's made i know one of them was a spot up in the corner someone passed it to him and he decided to pop the shot a perfect standard three the other two one was like a halftime buzzer beater and one was a meaningless end of the game buzzer beater uh (laughs) you you were right to isolate garbage time we need him we need him to just chuck one up there in a spot that doesn't matter because when it matters and when it's a standard three-point shot he still for whatever reason just doesn't want to take him yeah, one of the many things I loved about Seinfeld was uh, they used the word, I think it was George Casanza, but as a chucker. Yes. And, you know, when I was a kid, that was that was something you always called somebody, you know, hey, listen, you listen, chucker, you're a chucker. Yeah. So uh, we want the Ben to be a uh, chucker one more time. Yes, please be a chucker, Ben. <laughs> OK, uh, with our big five dollar win for the week, uh, we're now down one thousand two hundred fifteen dollars overall. We also have $1,824 on holding futures bets. So that leaves us with $6,961 available to bet with this week. And I'm up first. And I'll start with a futures bet on boxing. Uh, The biggest fight that can possibly be made for basically the undisputed heavyweight championship between two legitimate mega stars in England and even two names. I think the mainstream American sports fan recognizes at this point, Tyson Fury versus Anthony Joshua. They've been dotting the I's and crossing the T's for a couple of months now, but it looks like it's going to happen sometime over the summer. And FanDuel is the one book I noticed that posted odds already. Fury is a minus 174 favorite. That's a very good price. It implies a 63.5% chance he wins. I'm about 80% sure Fury wins. It's the very natural, fluid boxing mastermind versus the less natural you can see him thinking in the ring guy who tenses up and gets tired as a result. Joshua has a lot of talent and power. He certainly can win, but at minus 174, I love Fury. Let's bet $174 to win a hundred and it refunds if the fight doesn't happen sometime in 2021. All right. Yeah. Now I'm not going to hit every mediocre PGA tour event in this brutal stretch of the golf season, but I have a strong feeling in the once a year two player team event in New Orleans this week. But now first I should say that if the tour had any sense of humor, they'd have accepted my recommended pairings for this uh, team event. Now on and nah gets us a palindrome. So that's a no <laughs> right. Player, right. Okay. M and Kim, right. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, Shoffley and Scheffler, 
also a no-brainer. <laughs> uh, they played each other in the match play a couple of weeks ago. It made it even more obvious. Uh, Johnson and Johnson, Dustin and Zach, uh, <laughs> both winners of majors. And uh, that's I got my one and done vaccine shot with uh, Johnson and Johnson myself. So uh, then the Ryans, Moore and Palmer, who honestly, as deeply into golf as I am, I get them confused because Moore and Palmer kind of generic and mm. they're kind of white bread, whatever, you know, not a mm-hmm. lot going on with them. So that would confuse me and be entertaining. I like the Camerons, Forson, Smith, Davis, Champ and Tringali would be fun. Okay. Uh, Bryson Berger. Be good. Uh, I had that out in uh, Utah. Once. It took me. It took yeah. me a second. It was a little gamey, but it, it was good. Um, Westwood Fleetwood, no brainer, right? Sure. Um, Howell the third and Varner the third. I mean, that's that's a given. Uh, Long day. That's that's a great pairing. Uh, mm-hmm. I can relate to that. Uh, Victor Ortiz and Cameron Champ. I mean, how do they not win? I mean, ah. it's in their names. Uh, and finally, of course, you ask your doctor whether a Zalatoris Norlander pairing is right for you. Uh, <laughs> But anyway, back to the actual bet. Uh, Aussies Cameron Smith and Mark Leishman were pretty ticked off not to be paired in the last President's Cup event against the U.S., which was played in, yes, Australia. So they're absolutely on a mission to get paired up uh, next time around. And both are in good form. Uh, They're underrated great players. Smith won this event a couple of years ago in this, at, the, at this course with someone named Jonas Blixt from Belgium or the Netherlands or somewhere. I don't even know. Um, so give the down under Laurel and Hardy duo. And uh, all right, I won't get upset if you have to Google Laurel and Hardy audience. I get it. Uh, for $20 to win at plus 1200 and $80 for top 10 at plus 110. All right. Um, the NFL draft is a week away. And as our regular listeners know, I don't know much about college football and who's actually promising and who isn't, but I do know that my Eagles are in the market for a cornerback and they apparently have interest in Virginia Tech's Caleb Farley, uh, not to be confused with Caleb Fairley, a convicted murderer who I went to high school with. Look him up on Wikipedia if you're into that sort of thing. <laughs> it's funny. I looked up Caleb Farley on Wikipedia and it did have a uh, if you're looking for Caleb Fairley, click here. Anyway, uh, oh. Farley is projected to go in the late teens. The Eagles currently pick at 12. I saw one mock that has them trading down and taking Farley. It's not the most likely scenario. It involves a couple of if-thens. You know, they might stay at 12 and take a wide receiver or a different D-back. But it seems possible that they'll go with Farley. And I found a price of plus 2,500 for the Eagles to use their first pick, wherever it is, on Farley. Why not take a shot at that price? Let's bet $10. No harm done if it misses. $250 added to the bankroll if it hits. All right. Uh, well, I have one that uh, also is NFL draft, but uh, we're going to revisit this one in February. Uh, 50 at plus 600 on Zach Wilson to be NFL Offensive Rookie of the Year. Now, the Jets improved a bit in free agency. Their awful coach is gone, and they have a ton of really good draft picks. So, you know, of course, Trevor Lawrence is the favorite at plus 200, but I say give me Wilson and it could happen. Yeah, I like that. Seems like it's got a shot. Plus 600. All right. And that will do it for this episode of Gamble On. Thanks to everybody out there for listening. And thanks again to our guest, Adam Small. You can find me on Twitter at Eric Raskin and John at Bergen Brennan and follow US Bets at US underscore bets. Go to usbets.com for all the latest news and analysis from the world of gambling and subscribe to this podcast on Spreaker, Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And with that, John, please take us out. Well, Eric, I know it can be difficult for a listener to keep track of all of our sites, so let's review for once. Uh, usbets.com, sportshandle.com, njonlinegambling.com, pnnbets.com for Pennsylvania, mibets.com for Michigan, hoosierbets.com is Indiana, tnbets 
bets.com for Tennessee, cobets.com in Colorado. Am I missing any? I think that's. Uh, I think you got them all. Yep. All right. So uh, I want to point, though, to my article on cobets.com that posted on Wednesday. Uh, it's an intriguing interview I had with the S-Markets, smarkets.com, you might say, founder Jason Trost, who, whose first state for his sports betting app is, of course, Colorado. Uh, Jason really challenges the tendency of so many states to force marriages between casinos and or racetracks and unlike casino companies. And arguably, it is a little strange when you think about it, which I hadn't thought too much about it before. Uh, now, I explain the history of why it happened first in New Jersey, where the Atlantic City casino industry was a major freefall after Pennsylvania and New York opened their first casinos in 2006, as I covered back then. And that also meant the casinos could no longer afford to subsidize horse racing purses, and that put that industry in peril in the state, too. So the reason for the, really, for the 2011 sports betting referendum in New Jersey that eventually led to the overturning of PASPA seven years later, and large reason why we're doing this podcast uh, when the Supreme Court overruled it, uh, was to aid those two industries. So, you know, and even the passage of online casino gaming uh, in 2013, it was the same thing. Uh, and indeed, that supplementary revenue during the pandemic has helped all online casinos. But Jason even challenged me on that point, you know, from a, or like a robust free market philosophy, knowing that there's, there's nothing written in stone anywhere that Atlantic City gets to have casinos for the next 500 years, you know, compete or die is kind of his mantra. Now, there are tens of thousands of jobs at Atlantic City casinos, and their survival is crucial to the South Jersey economy. So I'm not sure I want to go that far, but he really made me rethink my preconceptions. And, and that's a good thing, especially these days, talking about polarized. So, you know, he not busy being born is busy dying. That's my mantra. And, well, Bob Dylan said that. And uh, I'm really rethinking a lot of what uh, I thought I already knew. And I appreciate that. Uh, I want that. Until next time, everybody, gamble on. Gamble on.